Hello and welcome to this special episode of Celluloid Junkies. Uh, we don't normally do this, but Damien and I recently had an experience at the cinema with a new film that came out this year that has been very controversial, very talked about. We had very strong reactions to it. So we thought we'd do this special episode just so that we can talk about this film uh, and, and why we reacted the way we did. The film that we're talking about is actually Darren Aronofsky's mother. What brings you to us? Well, they told me I could find a room here. He thought we were at a bed and breakfast. He's a stranger. We're just going to let him sleep in our house. Hello. Can I help you? Hey, you made it. Did you know he had a wife? He didn't just stumble on us. He has pictures of you in his luggage. What were you doing in their luggage? Look these people. Who are they? You give and you give and you give. It's just never enough. Darren Aronofsky, this isn't the first film of his that we've discussed. We did an episode on The Wrestler, so we're not going to go into a lot of that stuff. This is a sort of an informal chat. We have had many, many, many of these informal chats since we saw this movie. In fact, I saw it while Luke was overseas in... Uh, Italy, and I was absolutely blown away by this movie. It was uh, one of the most remarkable cinematic experiences of my life, and I had to drag Luke there. Luke got back, and I'm sure he was tired, I'm sure he was jet-lagged, but I dragged him to the cinema the next day. (laughs) I'm sure he had every excuse to say, no, I'm not going to go and see that movie, but he came with me and saw it, which I was grateful for. We have very, very similar sensibilities, not only about cinema, but I would say about our life values. We've known each other for over a decade. We were in a relationship for seven years until um, Damien got tired of me. Uh, (laughs) I was totally speechless for about 20 minutes after I came out of the cinema. But also, I was very careful not to tell you anything about the movie before we went in. And I think before we go any further with this, if you have not, if you're listening to this and you have not seen Mother and you have an opportunity to see it, go and see it. And if you never come back and listen to this podcast that's still fine. Just go and see the movie before you listen to this. We're going to try not to give away anything too too much about the film, but we are going to be going into a bit of the content and some of the ideas in the film. So Damien's absolutely right. It's so important you see this film fresh without too much dialogue, discourse, uh, knowledge about the film because your reaction is going to be very personal. And if you have the same reaction as us or, or as much of a reaction as we've had to it, then I think part of the experience of this movie is going back and reading about it afterwards or talking to somebody about it afterwards. Uh, it, it is just as important as seeing the movie is working out your feelings about the movie. Mm. And it's... Uh proved to be like a very polarizing film you're not going to have no reaction you're either going to love and embrace it or you're going to hate it passionately 
almost nobody, I can't imagine anyone's going to walk out feeling indifferent. Yeah. It's just too strong. It's a gut punch. Yep. So a few basics about the film. Apparently Aronofsky wrote it in five days. It had a budget of $30 million. The cast rehearsed for about three months in a warehouse, uh, and then they shot from the 13th of June to the 28th of August last year. So Aronofsky obviously spent a lot of time in editing, and that shows in the film. Uh, it premiered at the Venice International Film Festival, and it went into a wide release on the 15th of September. I can't, cannot believe he wrote this film in five days. That is absolutely blowing my mind right now. When, when you see this movie, you will realise that there is, it is so, such an intricate intricately knitted quilt every thread counts in this movie and he spoke actually about how he didn't have much freedom in editing because of that how intricately it was woven he couldn't essentially take a bit out or shuffle a bit around because it had been written so carefully and you know one moment had to follow the next Mm. When the film came out, it got a cinema score F rating. And cinema score is a metric that measures how closely a film's marketing matches the film itself. Now, the film has been marketed as a conventional thriller, and it isn't a conventional thriller. Anyone who sees the trailer and is going to be drawn to see the film because of how the trailer presents it is going to probably be, or at least have their expectations <laughs> dashed. I went away from seeing the trailer thinking this is uh, like Rosemary's Baby. When it's not. And so many reviewers have cited Rosemary's Baby as a film like it. It's nothing like this. No, Rosemary's, Rosemary's Baby. Baby is nothing like this movie. The no. trailer made me feel like this film was going to be like Rosemary's Baby. Yeah. Uh, I did see, and I have to mention that I did really enjoy the way that this trailer was done that I saw. I went and saw It, and uh, there was a trailer for Mother beforehand. And it was done in a in a fashion that this is a cinema-centric trailer. It's not the kind of trailer that you'd see on the web. It actively said, go and buy your tickets at the lobby after seeing this movie. I just really love the way it presented that. And for a film like Mother to find an audience, I think that's important. It was a bit more honest than the rest of the trailer to say that. I mean, to say that you're going to have quite an experience if you go and see this movie, but you're not going to know that until you go and see the movie. And look, the film's been dividing critics and audiences Reactions have been so diverse. There's been, like, you'll get nervous chuckling, you'll get abject laughter, you'll get fits of tears, you'll get people leaving the cinema and throwing up and being horrified. The backlash against the film's been pretty strong. It was so strong that Paramount released a statement defending the decision to release the film at all. They called the film audacious and brave. They made a movie that was intended to be bold. We don't want movies to be safe. Uh, It's fine if some people don't like it. That was essentially the the crux of what they came out and said. They've even had to defend some of the posters that have been released for this movie. Yeah, so there was a poster that came out that showed half of uh, Jennifer Lawrence's face battered. And a lot of people have taken issue with the fact that the film is using violence against a woman as a marketing point or as a selling point. I don't know where I kind of stand on that. I've seen the film now, and so I know how important the violence is against Jennifer Lawrence. I know where it's coming from and that it's coming from a good place. So it's hard for me to be objective about it. If people are going to see the film because they want to see Jennifer Lawrence get bashed and cut up, then that's a little disturbing. I I don't know why you would uh, want to go and see a movie for that reason, but I also think that when you get into the movie and you are two hours into the movie and you see that scene, there is no way that you are going to want to see that scene. Damien's seen the film twice now. 
I've seen the film twice as well because after I went through it with Damien, I, I went and took uh, my partner, Hariz, to see it. Hariz is far more, uh, I guess... Um, you've, heard, you've heard his reviews on the, uh, <laughs> on the Fearless episode. Yeah, like he's not really a film guy. You know, he's kind of a casual movie viewer. So I was really nervous about how he would react, but he reacted in a, in a very profound way to it. I have told every single person to go and see it, including Cameron, who didn't go and see it. Did Cass, I, I haven't spoken to you about that. Oh, she loved it. Cass previously joined us on the Whatever Happened to Baby Jane and uh, FX's feud, Betty and Joan, episode of this podcast. And uh, she had a really, really strong reaction to it as well. So, Damien, if people... Like, when you're telling people go and see Mother, what are you telling them? All I can say is go and see Mother. Uh, all I can say is it is a profound experience. It is it is a brilliant... Uh, the word I've used is that it's a masterpiece, and I really think it's a masterpiece. I feel like, yeah, we've looked at Darren Aronofsky's Wrestler. That was my favourite Darren Aronofsky film. Was. Uh, and Requiem for a Dream was yours. He's a great filmmaker. He's made great films, a series of them. He continues to make great films. Mother? Mother is different. Mother is... Mother is life. It is such a... It is so, so weird to say he's made a great film with Mother. Yeah. It's, it's more than that. It is... More than a movie. I keep saying that to people. Movie, it's yeah. more than a movie to me. Lemonade! Oops. Oh, careful. Thought you might like some. Yes, thank you. Secret family recipe. Which part of the lemons? How's your hand? Oh. Still stinging. Sorry. It's not like it was your fault. You don't have any painkillers, do you? Are you telling me the truth? I really don't have any. I'm sorry. Okay. What is the film about? What can we say about the movie without spoiling it? I mean, look, for me, I went in not knowing any of the biblical allegory associated with the film. And to be honest, I, I picked up on little inferences of it. But I was so moved by, I guess, the first thing you notice about the film. The first level that it works on is a level about a relationship between a young woman and an older man artist poet and she is so in love with this man and her nature is fundamentally generous and giving and his nature is far more complex he loves her but he's also got this other side of his life the creative side the artistic side and jennifer lawrence is basically one of several compartments mm on which his life runs. So for me, the movie was about what happens when you get an uneven relationship. Honestly, in your life, you can probably relate a little bit to that about the importance of the creative side. Yeah, absolutely. What happens when you have two people who are together in a spousal relationship and one is programmed by her nature to give and the other is programmed by his nature to take? Mm. And what does that do to the giver? Now, Mother is very subjectively on Jennifer Lawrence's experience the whole way through. Yes. We never leave her. We never move into anybody else's experience. And I think that, that there heightens the experience of uh, people coming and going, uh, which is such an element of this movie. People yeah. coming in and going and coming and going and coming and going because they're all coming and going in Jennifer Lawrence's, in Mother's life. 
And the film is not about an introverted personality, but the anxiety that you feel if you're an introvert, that is the fuel of this movie. Mm. The idea of a door that won't close, of people that won't leave, of having to be around people all the time. To the point that she gets so fed up with it that she locks her husband out at one point. It is the last, honestly, the last act of self-preservation. Yeah, it's um, all she can do. At that point, it is survival, mm. is keeping people out. I mean, the film is nightmarish. It's, it's, it's like when you have a nightmare where you're not in control of what's happening and everything just keeps getting worse and you can't break out of it and you can't wake up. Mm. It evokes that feeling of a nightmare in a way that no film has ever evoked for me before in my life. I'm sure you've seen the trailers and that uh, the character played by Ed Harris arrives at the house of uh, Javier Bardem and Jennifer Lawrence. Then the character played by Michelle Pfeiffer arrives. And that's kind of... It's already started with Ed Harris. It gets heightened with Michelle Pfeiffer. And they are so brilliant in this movie. Everybody is brilliant in this movie, but it would be hard to find a a performance that isn't brilliant in a film directed by Aronofsky. Uh, I guess it, it is so difficult to watch them use up this house that they are being welcomed into. It is so difficult to watch Javier Bardem say, yes, come in, yes, you can stay. Um, because you are on uh, in Jennifer Lawrence's eyes throughout this movie, it is so easy as a um, as an introverted and and uh, often very antisocial person that I am to develop an anxiety while watching this movie. That hey, this is how I feel a lot of times in my life. And me too. Um, I we're both similar in that way, in that we are, and it's probably one of the reasons why we're such great friends is because we both do definitely feel life kind of coming at us and people coming at us and ourselves being forced into social situations and and engaging with others when we really don't want to. We want to be alone. Sorry, everybody, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> The other way that the film works is what well, you're talking about the house. So Jennifer Lawrence is um, rebuilding this house that used to be um, Javier Bardem's home. Childhood home, yeah. And she's trying to recreate it because it's been burnt to the ground. The film's about contamination. So we've got this pristine, beautiful house. And when Ed Harris comes in, he brings alcohol and cigarettes. And the house starts to get a bit dirty. (laughs) And then Michelle Pfeiffer brings in sex. She brings in skimpy underwear. She brings in sleaze, essentially. And she brings in invasive questions. Mm Mm-hmm. And then from there, we get the introduction of violence and sin in the form of their two sons who just turn up to the house. And then after that, we get a group of people coming from a funeral. Um, So a group of people, we get a mass of people coming in. And in the last 30 minutes of this film, it reaches, I mean, the film keeps building and building. But eventually, I mean, eventually all of those people leave. Yeah. All of those people leave. There's, there's a couple of moments in the film that go to a bright white light and all of those people leave and that is followed soon after by one of those moments and it's like a reset. Mm. It's a reset emotionally for the viewer that you feel like there are happier times coming. I mean, I don't know if we should divulge what happens during that reset. I think we should be careful if we can try and talk about it without... Because I want a lot of people to be able to hear this episode and go, ah, okay, that's interesting. I want to see it. Yeah. Yeah. At the same point, after that reset, it changes. It becomes, I think, a little bit more about Javier Bardem at that point, the movie, and uh, some of 
some of the things that are difficult for his character in the first half of the movie become easier for his character in the second half of the movie. But that makes it even harder for Jennifer Lawrence. And there's a devastating line in the movie where she says, why aren't I enough for you? The idea that people need more than the people they love uh, when the people they love only need them is very sad. So that that leads to this uh, great scene that this writer who hasn't written in so long is sparked by the idea that his wife is pregnant, by the fact that his wife is pregnant. And it leads to that scene, which is just, I think if I tell you this scene, it is indicative of the entire movie. It is just makes you feel so annoyed, (laughs) a lot of this movie, and not in a bad way in a frustrated way. You get incredulous about what these characters or this character is doing. He, he has sparked to write again, the poet, uh, Javier Bardem, and he does. And he writes this poem. And it is the most amazing poem you've ever heard. And he's finished this first work that he's done in seemingly years. Um, he's already a best-selling author at the start of this movie, but he hasn't written in a long time. He does this poem. He shows Jennifer... Jennifer Lawrence, and she reacts the way that you would expect her to react. She's blown away by it. It is uh, so beautiful. Perfect, I think she says. So beautiful that we, we can't even know it. The thing is, in this scene, she has walked in. He has been in his office writing this poem. No time to talk to anybody else. So far removed from everybody else. She walks into the hallway and she sees him standing at the front door. And he's holding this piece of paper and she says, is that it? And he says, yes. And she asks if she can read it. And she, uh, he says, yes. So she reads it. And you feel like this after this beautiful white light, this reset, and you feel like she's the only person who's read this. There's no chance that anybody else could possibly have read this yet. And the sad thing is she has this reaction, this emotional reaction. You are so happy that she's having this reaction as the viewer and then the phone rings and his agent is on the line and she has read it Mm. and then the phone rings again and somebody else has read it and there is an impossibility about this because there is no way that this could have possibly happened but it has it's just adding to your frustration can nothing go right and the film makes uh, the film does a really spectacular job of blending this feeling that you are stuck in you know, at this time without telephones and TV and technology, and yet they've got cell phones. It's obviously the modern day, you know, yeah. um, but it's a, it's, a, it's a great pairing of the, uh, the older day poetry creation, yeah. um, you know, a, la- a lack of technology with modern day things, modern day vices, and there is technology. There are mobile phones in this movie. That's why I say it's obviously the modern day. So... It's such a a great film at uh, not placing itself in any one time. It is timeless. And it's uh, one of the most aggressive and one of the angriest films you'll ever see. Mm. Uh, I think when you talked about being annoyed and being frustrated, I think that those inarticulable feelings you have sometimes, and they're very private feelings about the world, about the rape of the earth, about liberal people who are ready to forgive and just want to hold hands about being encroached upon, being invaded, about pack mentality, about the madness, nausea, misery, awfulness of the world. All of those feelings are in this film. Mm. And this film evokes all of those frustrations so deftly. 
I spent the last 20 minutes of this film sobbing <laughs> and I couldn't talk to Damien, as I said, for 20 minutes after I came out because I just felt like somebody had reached into all of the things I can't say, all of my most private personal pain and had just projected it on the screen for two hours and it didn't let me go. It started and it would not let me go, even though there are these reset moments. The, the energy and the feeling and the emotiveness of the film does not ever stop. It builds and builds. It is, um, it, it is claustrophobic. When you are watching this film, you are alone with the film and it, you are alone with your pain in a way. But there's a beautiful, cathartic feeling as well with it. It's exhilarating to have somebody put words to those indescribable feelings that, that go on inside of you. And not even necessarily just words, but pictures. Yeah. The cinematography in this film is absolutely stunning. The performances are pitch perfect the entire way through. You, you cannot go out of this movie and imagine anybody else in these roles. Technically, if we're, if we're going to look at it on a simplistic level, technically this film is his best work, possibly the best work of all of the people involved. I think it's just remarkable. There is a scene where Jennifer Lawrence is physically beaten mm -hmm. after being emotionally beaten the whole film, uh, and that scene is uh, almost unwatchable. It is so well done. You have not seen a woman be brutalised like this, not irreversible, not the accused, nothing. Nothing compares with what this does. And all it does is it's a still shot. Mentioning the accused in this, <laughs> I guess the accused, the brave one, you know. Yeah, any film with Jodie Foster. <laughs> none, of the, <laughs> none of those movies are, are, are even close, yeah. No, it, it, just in terms of the impact of that one scene. But that's what I say um, uh, that uh, I guess a lot of this... Um, controversy about the poster about uh, or about the fact that they're marketing with this the, the idea of violence against women shouldn't be used in marketing. I think you would probably dismiss those um, arguments having seen the movie because it's a very important scene in the movie um, but also there is no way that anyone could respond to that positively. It's only, I think it's only going to have a positive effect in the wider community I think so too. We're going to stop for a minute now and play our interview with Dean Treadray. He is one of the co-hosts of Movie Geeks United, which is one of my favorite podcasts. I've been a fan of it for years and years. It's actually one of the reasons why I decided to create Celluloid Junkies. He, uh, he loved Mother, and I was really anxious when I heard him say that to sit down and have a chat with him, and he was gracious enough to grant us an interview. Here's some really wonderful insights, and we are very pleased to be airing this interview for you. Thank you again so much for agreeing to talk to me about Mother. Sure. I was very excited when I, when I heard you talk about it on the show on MGU because I, um, I hadn't seen it. I was overseas, and I heard you say that you loved it, and I always kind of keep my ear out for what you what you think is good. And yeah, and then sure enough, when I went and when I went and saw it a week later, I, I wasn't disappointed. I thought it was brilliant. It was incredible. When you went in, how did it initially strike you? Were you aware of the kind of Christian element of it or of the environmental element? What was the, what were you struck by initially? Do you think? Well, initially I was struck by, um, I guess I was just struck, struck initially by the way it was filmed. Mm. I'm not a real fan of, of handheld camera work, but I do like it when it's done right, like or done well or done with finesse. 
like, for instance, you know, Robbie Mueller's work with uh, uh, Lars von Trier on uh, Breaking the Waves is some of the best. That aspect of it, uh, widescreen, shot in close-up, following her every move. Uh, she's in every frame, uh, usually, uh, you know, the back of her head or, the, uh, or uh, you know, a little front. And it was that aspect of it, really, that, that really got me. I knew about the uh, environmental aspect. The biblical part, uh, I didn't know about. Of course, I stayed away from reading about anything that happens in it. That's generally what I do about all movies. If I read a review, uh, I'll only read like the first and the last paragraph of a review because I know that the middle of it is just telling you everything about what's happening. So I feel like if I can just get the first and last paragraph of a review, I can gauge what the person... But even in that, I didn't really look at a lot of reviews beforehand. People were being outraged by it, so I was fully expecting that people would uh, get up and, and leave. The audience that I was with, it was primarily a black audience, and it was a small audience, probably about 20 people in it, maybe, including me and my friend. I felt like everybody was with it, strangely enough, so uh, mm. all the way through. I had people walk out both sessions that I went to. Mm-hmm. How many people were in the theater? I think the first one was maybe about 20, and then the second one was very small, maybe five. All right, five, yeah, okay. There's going to be five people who are going to stay with it usually, but okay. Yeah, I mean, they stayed real close. They got to the very, very end where it gets quite horrific, and then I think they'd sort of, I don't I don't know, but they'd had enough and they just left. Okay, so they did leave, okay, mm. all right. Why do you think critics have reacted, or a lot of critics have reacted negatively to it? It's difficult to say. The occupational hazard in being a critic is that you see so many movies that you get sick of movies, especially get sick of a certain type of movie. This is the kind of thing that foments the divide between the critical eye and the populist eye, the popular view of movies. I would imagine, you know, that critics would respond to the movie because it was something so completely different at the very least. Yes. But, uh, but I think there are a lot of people who are quote unquote critics out there and you can include me in there too. I mean, you know, who are, who are quote unquote critics that are, uh, are not really of a critical, don't, they don't really have a critical view. I think, you know, I think they're just like, in there, oh, it was a good movie to go and see, to eat ice cream with, or blah, blah, or whatever. <laughs> it was cool, or whatever. But they don't really get into the whole... There's not many works of art that get hit, uh, hit theaters, really. Uh, you know, it's not the 60s anymore, you know? <laughs> in, yeah. the 60, in the 60s and the 70s, you have works of art hitting the theaters all the time. Now, not so much. You're reminding me of when Jerry was saying to you in the last episode I listened to of MGU that sometimes you sound like a um, you're giving a eulogy for cinema. And I remember thinking when he said that, well, I think that's kind of fair. I think uh, cinema at this point almost needs a eulogy sometimes. Absolutely. And Jerry's lucky I didn't unload on his uh, negative <laughs> aspect of <laughs> Uh, which I could go on a soliloquy on for about an hour, I guess, singing a eulogy for, for movies, because they're not the same. 
they're just not the same. You know, I've been meaning to debut this on the on the show. This sort of term that I've come up with for what movies are now, and uh, and that is game rides. I think that they are a combination of video games and rides at, at amusement parks, basically. And, and certainly, with the arrival of the chairs that can you know blow bubbles and and um, and move with the screen and and uh, spray smells out and stuff like that. That, 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 that completes the whole transformation. But that's not cinema. I mean, imagine if we were watching Ingmar Bergman's persona and it was spraying shit out. Darkly. <laughs> 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 that's crazy to think about that. That's, but, uh, that's uh, a really disturbing thought that we might be kind of um, regressing back into kind of William Castle-style gimmicks. Castle would be a billionaire next today. <laughs> he, would. he would be a billionaire. Yeah. He would be. He'd be a billionaire. He'd be like, you know, you don't think people would be going to see the tingler, you know, with the <laughs> with the seats all wired up to shock you and stuff. People would be going to see that. Oh God. You're right. You're right. That's what people you're right, they do. They want to go on a roller coaster. They're not looking for any kind of deep insight from cinema much these days. That's, when they go to the cinema they want a roller coaster. They, they they want to go on a roller coaster. Look, motherfucker, go on a roller coaster. This is a movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And you know, it's, um, I mean, Damien and I once, cause Damien's my co-host of the show and we, we went and saw it together and I, I kept, we kept saying to each other that it feels like, and I mean, I, I'm not sure if you had as strong a reaction as this. I had a very emotional reaction to the film. Um, Damien and I are both introverts and I think the film plays on the, anxiety of an introvert it does i think you're right about that that's a that's a great observation mm-hmm. and uh that that it, it is the it is the case of uh with the biblical and the uh environmental things uh, the environmental thing is especially i think there uh, i mean it's obviously an allegory it's obviously a movie that's not taking place in reality yeah <laughs> so anybody Anybody going to the movie expecting a, an adherence to reality is seriously deluded. But uh, <laughs> but that part of it, uh, the part that you mentioned about uh, it, key the anxiety of an introvert is that's a really good observation because uh, the horror element in it definitely plays with that in a very subtle and not so subtle way. It, it's it's a movie about a person that just wants to be alone and <laughs> yes. with her house and her husband and she doesn't want anybody anybody coming in there and, and messing with their world, really. I mean, yeah, it's just, you just spend the whole movie wanting them to get out and they will not get out and they keep coming in. It's just, I mean, it's two hours yeah. of that. It's it's horrendously painful to watch. You know what's funny is, okay, so it's really a movie, of course, like all movies, it's, it's, set, it's cut into three parts. And that first part with uh, the arrival of uh, Ed Harris and... and uh, Michelle Pfeiffer, to me, struck me as, as very funny. Did you guys get that? I mean, uh, I, you know, I, I had a feeling that there was going to be something weird. <laughs> the movie was going to be weird from the very beginning. <laughs> of course, I knew it was going to be weird. But from the very beginning, I, expectations were undercut just by the simple uh, appearance of the movie's title on the screen because, you know, the word mother gets sort of scribbled on the screen. And then... 
And then the exclamation point comes in with a little ka-ching. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, what? That was kind of funny. That was weird. <laughs> so I, looked, I, looked at, I looked at my friends and we were like, that was that was kind of funny. What did you find funny in it? <laughs> I, well, I think, I think just the kind of uh, the oddness of the characters, the fact that, you know, he's um, flagrantly smoking in the house, Michelle Pfeiffer's prying questions, um, Javier Bindam going, yeah, you can stay. He thought we were a bed and breakfast. <laughs> you know, the whole thing's just so strange. You're just like, what is happening here? <laughs> there's that moment, there's two moments where Jennifer Lawrence finds something and just throws it, throws it away. Like, she finds that lighter yeah, uh, with the symbol on it, and she just throws it, <laughs> throws it right. behind something. <laughs> like, I found that funny. And then when, when she finds her uh, panties or something that have been taken out of the wash, you, you have to forgive me, I've only seen the movie once. Someone's taking the panties out of the wash or something, and she just, she just sort of throws the panties behind the <laughs> behind the, the washer or something. I don't know, I found that stuff funny. Yeah, almost anything that, that Harris and Pfeiffer were doing was, was funny. For me, the biblical part, I think it's there as sort of a, I don't know, like a little bit of a jest, I guess, on the part of Aronofsky. And I don't think that uh, he's being very upfront or very... I haven't read his read his synopsis of his own work, but <clears throat> I, I prefer completely different reading. It's a movie about an artist who is consumed with his work, who allows that consumption to actually destroy his personal relationships. Certainly when I do find myself in a movie that has a sort of a dream logic to it, I give up any kind of notion of trying to figure it out, what's happening or whatever. I just sort of let it take, let it wash over me just like a dream does. And and dreams are irrational. So, I mean, if you're going to sit there watching the movie the whole time trying to rationalize it, I think that it's going to be pretty painful. You know, you've got to kind of just get lost in the kind of emotional texture of it rather than trying to go, well, why, how could that happen? There's a weird time element in it. It feels like days are, uh, <laughs> you know, are, are, are speeding by. And I, I don't know, it's, it's a very, very, very uh, strange movie in that way. But uh, in many ways, of course. Uh, well, I was going to ask you just one question about what you thought of the marketing for Mother. It's funny, the only thing that I watched uh, previous to doing this was the pre- was the trailer. Mm-hmm. And uh, I was looking at the trailer and I was like, wow, this trailer is so good because it really doesn't tell you anything about what's going to happen. It feels like it, it's all centered in on the first third of it, like just those two people coming in. And it's really just it's going to be some kind of horror movie with these two people. It feels like they're they're selling it as a horror film, which was probably a mistake because horror people were probably not thrilled with it. They didn't really know how to sell it, but I'll tell you, they did come up with a very, very good trailer. Another thing that's very disturbing about the movie is that there's no music. That's probably something that also throws a lot of people off uh, because there's, uh, you know, uh, these days, you know, you'll have a movie with music uh, from the beginning to the very end. And uh, and you want to sit those directors down and say, well, why why did you have music in in every scene of the movie? And uh, you would imagine that they would come back saying, well, it just felt weird without having any music on it. It just felt like a weird scene or whatever, like it was a downer or whatever. There has to be some. There must be some sort of sense amongst directors that 
uh, music lightens people up, maybe lightens uh, the uh, proceedings on screen up a little bit more. But this didn't have any of that. In fact, what it had instead was a very, very disturbing soundscape, which is another one of the things that I kind of responded to very early on, was just the sound of it. It was a very, very, I, I can't put it into words now because I think I would have to see it again to really be able to put it into proper, proper verbiage, but it was just, um, there was something constantly creepy like going on in the background. Like, <laughs> what, what is that? Like, <laughs> what, I just, I just remember sitting there going, "Geez, this is." And then when, when the action ramps up, it gets even more crazy. Uh, also, let me uh, talk about the marketing. I loved the movie posters. The the first two movie posters that came out for it, those extraordinary paintings of uh, Jennifer Lawrence with a you know, holding out her heart, a slash in her chest, opening, uh, offering her heart yeah. to the, to the uh, viewer. And then I guess there's a uh, one with Harvey Bardem in a sea of flames, holding, holding a, an orb in his hand, which I still don't know what that orb is. It looks like, it looks like the orb from, uh, from phantasm or something like that. It <laughs> but, does. Uh, uh, I, I, you know, that's that's odd. There's a lot in those two posters, those two initial posters that would be interesting to have. I would kill for those two posters, by the way. <laughs> I was lucky enough to get, I was lucky to get the uh, the real poster for it, which is basically just a, a painted close-up of Jennifer Lawrence with uh, chips out of her face. It looks like a painting on a wall, like a relief painting. There's cracks in it. It makes it look like an old, you know, Leonardo da Vinci painting or something like that with the cracks in the paint and the chips are off of her face and stuff. And that one, too, is, is brilliant. But those first two are just unbelievable. You know, I think they did a good job in selling it, even though it wasn't a hit. There was no way this movie was going to be a hit. No, you're right. It's just too um, out of left field, I think. I appreciate that they did do this because I mean I love going to a, just a mainstream movie theater and seeing a movie like Mother mm. but uh, it, it probably didn't have any business being in there so <laughs> oh, that's very true I mean I think the good thing about those first two posters is that they definitely give you the impression you're going to see something very different that other poster with Jennifer Lawrence and the chips out of her face, I don't know why, but it really reminds me of the Stepford Wives, like the original. And you know how you had that poster where I can't remember, but it. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It's uh, Catherine Ross's head uh, with her hands separated from her body, like laying right next to her head. Yeah, so that's, that's right. That's an actual poster. Do you think Mother's going to make your top 10 for the year or top 20? I can't imagine anything's gonna gonna best that movie for number one. Really, I just oh. uh, you know I can't imagine anything else. I mean, God, how good is Jennifer Lawrence in it? Man, whoa! It's uh, unbelievable. Uh, <laughs> yeah, unbelievable performance. When the movie was over, everybody got up. <laughs> you know, again, a movie without music, so the credits go up silently, which is also something that was great. And I was like, wow, this is fantastic. Movies don't do this enough, but uh, 
standing up and, and you're hearing people laugh at it and stuff and kind of back behind you like, wow, what was that? And then one guy who came in and came in about 15 minutes late, he was right there in the front. He was an older gentleman and he got up and said, wow, man, I'm going to have to think about that one for a minute. <laughs> uh, like, like, yeah, we're going to be thinking about this one for a little while. And in fact, I have not stopped thinking about it. Uh, I, I, I tried so mightily to get some people to go with me to go and see it uh, again, and and I could kick myself for just not going to see it by myself. But I so wanted to go and share it with somebody. But I can't wait to see it again, uh, and um, I'm constantly thinking about it. Uh, and any movie that does that, usually the movie that does that to the highest degree is the movie that's my number one for the year. So I mean, it's just it's it's got to it's got to come to be kind of an obsession for me. The first time you watch the film, if you don't know anything about it, you're going. It's going to be, as I say, about a relationship, an uneven relationship. The second tier of the movie that'll start to come, it'll drip like a faucet <laughs> over the next few days as you think about it, is um, the rape of the world, the idea of a pristine environment slowly being contaminated by human interference, and the third level that the film works on is as a biblical allegory. Aronofsky did Noah, which I've still not watched because I have no interest in it. But that that received middling reviews. Yeah. I mean, if I had watched it, I would probably want to say this is the biblical story he wishes he made. I don't dislike Noah. I think it's a fun movie. It's definitely over melodramatic. A lot of it is totally crazy and doesn't make any sense. But it, it's just fun because it's extreme. It's, you know, again, it's another movie about people in extremists, which is what Aronofsky specializes in. In Mother, we get characters that are positing as ideas or concepts or institutions. Uh, Bardem is God. Ed Harris is man. Well, yeah, but Bardem's name is him in this. Yeah. With a capital H. Yes. So Bardem is God. Ed Harris is man. Michelle Pfeiffer is woman. Their sons are Cain and Abel. Kristen Wiig is a prophet or the church. And Jennifer Lawrence is Mother Earth. So Ed Harris and Michelle Pfeiffer, not just man and woman, but... Um... I'm saying that in capital, like capitals. Yeah, but Adam, so and Adam and Eve. And the film does work on that level as well. It's easier if you have a Catholic background, um, and you have, or you have some awareness of Christianity, uh, to be able to pick up on these themes. If you don't pick up on them, it doesn't matter. The film doesn't work in a way of, oh, it's part this and part that. So it's not like, oh, this is the part about religion. Oh, this is the part about the rape of the earth. This is the. It doesn't work like that at all. All of these, these are layers we're talking about. Yeah. Every scene in the film means about four or five different things, depending on what goggles you're wearing when you're watching it. And that's one of the truly remarkable things about the film. That is also one of the things that you look at and you can say that uh, this person has taken this amazing photo or written this amazing piece of music or um, done an amazing painting. An architect has built this, this extraordinary building. Um, in this, this filmmaker has written and directed this film, which has so many, so many meanings and has so many intricacies. In the hands of anybody lesser than Aronofsky or one of the great directors working today, that this would fall down, that it would trip over itself at some point, and it doesn't. 
And that, that is why I think anybody who loves cinema, anybody who loves uh, something a little bit different is going to respond to this film in a positive manner. People who don't love that, people who are looking for escapism in movies, they're not going to respond to it positively, yeah. I don't think. It is a film for serious cinephiles. Mm. Or it is a film for people who have never seen a film like this, but, you know, maybe they don't find films important because they've never seen a film like this. Yeah. I mean, I'd look at anybody should see this movie. It's, it's, uh, it's a two hours of your life, yeah, essentially. So it's, it's not a big commitment. And it's going to challenge you in a way that so few films do. Mm. And it's going to stay with you and haunt you in a way. It's definitely going to stay with you. I mean, I have not seen a film like this in maybe my entire life. And I think, and I, think uh, I came out of this movie and I said to Luke that I would love to fast forward to 30, 40, 50 years from now and to see the kind of uh, esteem that this movie is held in. Because I think that this movie is going to be one of those movies that we're going to look at and say this is one of the greatest films of all time. This could be this, this uh, generation's Citizen Kane. So what some of the people have been saying about this movie, it's one of these films where even the bad reviews can be used to sell the film. <laughs> um, you know, so oh, and, and I think they have been. They have been. Yeah. So we get words like strange, brilliant, sickening, immoral, tasteless, subversive, life-changing, a circus of grotesque debauchery, a cinematic masterpiece, the most controversial film since A Clockwork Orange, will be studied in film schools for decades. Mm. So these are some of, the th- some of the things that people are saying about the film. For me, I totally agree with you, Damien. It is the most important film I've seen that's been released in my lifetime. The most profoundly affecting, original, genreless, truly first genreless film I've ever seen. It is the first film I've seen where there is no precedent or prototype. It is new. It is not derivative. It is not conventional. It is the first new film, the first original film been released in my lifetime. I honestly didn't know this could happen. I was at a point where I thought everything that can be done with cinema, the breadth of the medium has been exhausted. We will get great films that echo what's come before it. But this film has proved me wrong. This film has has proved to me that there are still uncharted territories uh, to go in cinema. And that is extremely exciting, inspiring thing to have discovered having bled through all of cinema history. Yeah, well, I mean, look, we're far, far away from having bled through all of cinema history. There's still so many riches out there for us and for, I imagine, anybody to unlock. But um, I guess the majority of our output is American output and the majority of our output is art house American output. That's what we're interested in um, or that's what we have access to and are interested in. So a director like Aronofsky who after Noah, I guess, could have gone either way. He could have continued making films like Noah and we would have been thoroughly unimpressed with the majority of them. But he has made great films before and he has made this movie, which is a transcendent experience for us and for a lot of people. I guess most of the people listening to this podcast have probably seen it and um, had some kind of reaction to it. Obviously, we'd love to hear your reaction to it. I mean, I firmly place Aronofsky among the greatest directors working today, Mother is his masterpiece. And yet he's so young, he could continue to make movies like Mother. This is what baffles me. He could continue to make movies like Mother for another 30 years. And the thing about Aronofsky, I mean, Mother and the films that have come before it puts him way ahead of his peers, like uh, 
like even people like David Cronenberg or um, David Fincher or Ridley Scott, those kinds of filmmakers are only ever as good as the material that they're working with. They're essentially visualists, brilliant visualists. But Darren Aronofsky, this is his baby from the dialogue from the very first word on the page to the film that's now in, in cinemas and that's out there. And so in that sense, he is a far more exciting figure in in cinema than those filmmakers. He's on par now. I mean, I've said for I think the last couple of years that the uh, the most interesting director I find working is Inuritu. So you know he's like he's up there. Yeah. Just with the absolute pinnacle of filmmaking. If any listeners out there have seen Mother are reluctant to see Mother, if you loved it, if you hated it, we want to hear from you. Please get in touch with us. This is a one of the first films that's come out in years where it's really gotten people talking about cinema again. So if, if you have any thoughts, if you want to weigh in, if you want to tell us we're idiots, whatever it is, please comment, write to us, let us know what you think. We'd love to hear from you. Yeah, well, I, I loved... Um... Lost in Translation uh, a long time ago and uh, was working in a video store, which, you know, funnily enough, that's where Luke and I met because we loved movies, both worked in video stores. And uh, I recommended it to somebody, knowing that, hey, this, this film may not be everybody's cup of tea. Uh, and I remember she came back and she said, you're an idiot. I'm never going to listen to you again. So it's very, very possible that we could have some angry people contacting <laughs> us if they go and see this movie. Uh, look, we will. And there are some people that are just not going to like it. You know, that's part of why we were reluctant to even discuss it, because I think for Damien and I, it works on a very personal level. We've done our best to articulate why we think it's a worthwhile film. Uh, but, you know, there is just as much credence in the idea that, you know, if you didn't like it, you are totally entitled to your opinion and we respect that. Um, for us, though, we hope you go and we hope you have the same strong reaction that we had to the film. And the fact that we haven't spoken about um, exactly what this movie is about means that this could just be actually half an hour of babble. <laughs> but if that babble gets you into the cinema, it's worth it. Uh, if it's, um, as we've said many times on this podcast, looking at older movies, they seem to have lasted longer in the cinema than the newer movies. and. There's uh, all likelihood that Mother is not playing at a cinema near you. But that's no reason not to see it when it does, uh, when it is available to you to see it. But if it is available to you to see it at the cinema, um, try and get into one of those last sessions because it's worth it. Absolutely. All right. Thanks, guys. Thank you. We speak about a film, then we move on, you yeah, know, yeah, yeah. but we just can't seem to stop talking about Mother. <laughs> Thank you very it's, much. It's engaging and polarizing, obviously. Yes. And do you enjoy that? And did you expect it from the get-go that this would be the kind of film yeah, that... Yeah, I mean, any time you make a punk movie, mm. you know, one that's going to come at you with a fist, there's going to be people who are going to want to hit back, you mm. know. Um, and there's going to be other people like, that was great, let's do it again. Um, so we were always excited for the con the controversy and the conversation but that's what we made. We made a film that is a cautionary tale. It's a reflection on our world. And um, there are other there are people are going to be like, yeah, you go for it. And there's going to be people that are going to be, hold on, hold on, that's not me. Sunday North Junkie. Junkie.